Got a quick announcement first. That uh, five o'clock tonight, there will be a young adult study with Tommy and Destiny. All right. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to James one this morning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not, be dece- do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Father, I thank you for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to come and hear your word this morning, Lord. And I pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, that you would open our ears, that we would be quick to hear, Lord. I pray that you be with Jackie this morning, that you give him the words to speak, your words, Lord, that is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, is everybody good? Yes. You sure? Yes. All right. <clears throat> is anybody wondering what in the world did Jackie do with his hair? Yes. What's up with that? Oh, my, my wife is going to be so mad. Hi, hon. So yesterday, I did this to my hair yesterday because the top part is too long. And I already went to the barber once, so I have to wait another month before I can go back. That's the rule. And uh, so I said, well, I'll just tie it back in one of them. What do you call them, babe? Top knot. And she says to me, wait, or man bun, whatever makes you happy. But they're not much of a bun back there. It's just a little, little thing like that long. But it's holding all the hair down. So it's not all going crazy. So it's, the, the goal is to be practical. However... Kathy did tell me last night, she said, whatever you do, don't do that tomorrow at church. <laughs> and I don't know, we've been married like 31 years. Surely by now, she knows that that's like waving a red cape in front of a bull. <laughs> don't you do this tomorrow, or don't wear that. Don't let anybody see you. I, I'm sorry. So you guys all get to be a part of my own rebellion. Try, try not to follow my example. You may be happier. 
Um, as we look at the book of James, and we've been uh, several weeks in James chapter 1, we'll be at least one more week in James chapter 1 as we continue to work our way through, but I want to remind you of where we've been. The, the point as we've been working our way through James is this idea, there is purpose to our trials. Now, drives me crazy when I, I happen to be, a, I don't know, I, I think a lot of God's sovereignty, so I, I like to see God's fingerprints in in my day all the time. And I know there are a lot of people who don't do that, who who think it's not God's fingerprints, my own uh, dopiness or my own struggle or whatever. And But sometimes when that's our view, guys, what happens is we start to lose meaning in our in our trials. We start thinking, oh, this trial was just because I didn't get the tires changed, so I got a flat. Or this is because I didn't do that, or I didn't do this. And the problem with that is we stop to lose the meaning. We start to lose the meaning of our trials, the meaning of our suffering. And so James chapter 1 is laying this out for us. There is a purpose to our trials. Whatever the trial is, however the trial looks, there's a purpose to it. He told us in the beginning, he's accomplishing something in us. He is making us complete. So, so God is allowing things into our lives that helps develop us, helps us grow, helps us become the men and women God wants us to be. But there's several things in chapter 1 that he wants us to hold on to while we're facing our trials. The first one is, remember, be led out with joy. A joy is supposed to lead us out. And we talked about the reality that our joy is not something we churn up inside of us. Sometimes we try to do that. We try to do the Christian life by just churning up the feelings I'm supposed to have. If I just keep trying to work them up, eventually I'll get them. But the reality is, these things that we're talking about are found in one place. The presence of God. We've got to have the relationship we need to have with the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be led out with joy. Because the Bible declares that in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. So I want to be led out with joy. Then, I'm, In order for that to occur in my life, then I need to be able to have that relationship to draw on. My joy comes from Him. It's not something I chew up, not something I work up, not something I... I drink or eat the right thing, and all of a sudden, now comes joy. i got to have that relationship with Christ. I need to be led out in joy, and that joy is in His presence. The next thing He told us to do was get wisdom. You remember? If any of you lacks wisdom, what are we supposed to do? Ask. Okay, so if you lack wisdom, and we, what we talked about, according to Proverbs chapter 8, you guys are welcome to look at it anytime, we see wisdom personified. We see wisdom personified, and not only personified, we see wisdom creating. And what we discover as we study this is the idea that Jesus Christ is wisdom. Colossians told us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. All the treasures. So again, just like joy, where is wisdom found? In the presence of God. In the presence of God, there is wisdom. In the presence of God, there is joy. Now what happens, guys, when we face trials, what happens? We, we, go, we do one of two things. We either squeeze in tighter to the Lord, or we run away from Him. One of those choices is going to help you carry through the trial, endure, and watch God work in your life. And the other one is going to cause you to run away. Where you don't have joy, or wisdom, or the things that God's Word is calling us to. But when He said to ask me for wisdom... That's how we all begin our relationship with Jesus Christ, isn't it? We don't have anything to offer Him. It's not like, Lord, if I write this check, will you come in my heart? That's not how it works, right? We ask Him, and He says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. We call. We, we respond to Him. He's the one who moved first. We respond to Him. He pours out His wisdom, but He asks us, to ask Him with what kind of heart? Single heart. Not a double heart. Right? Remember we talked about not being double-minded, or really what it says in the Greek is two-souled. Having two souls. Trying to live in two parts of the world at the same time. Trying to say, I'm, I'm for you, Christ. Oh, I'm for the world. And we talked about the reality that the Word of God declares to us that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God, Right? 
So, so when we choose Christ, when we come to Christ, when we ask for wisdom, when we ask God to guide us and lead us through our trials, we do it with a single heart. You're, I'm, you're, all of me for you, Lord. All. Not some closet. I'm not giving you a part of my life. I'm not going to give you this one day a week. All of me for all of you. That's what God wants. That's how we go to Him. He says, if you have a double mind, if you have two souls, let not that man think he receives anything. That's why the Word of God calls upon us to judge ourselves lest we be judged. Why? Because if we can fool ourselves, we can deceive ourselves, which is where the Scripture is taking us today. Do not be deceived. We want to be let out with joy as we face our trials. We want the wisdom of Christ. Both of those things found in His presence. The next thing He talked about was money. He told us that, that our money is temporary. He said if you're poor, it's temporary. How do I know that? The, the poor man's going to be exalted. You see it? And the rich man's going to be humbled. What, what's it saying? The status, my status, my monetary status is temporary. Nothing in this world is permanent. So we need to recognize that our treasure, if we set our treasure here on earth, moths are going to eat it up, rust is going to destroy it, thieves will break in and steal. So what did Jesus say to do? Set your treasure where? In heaven. So who do you think is our treasure? Same guy who's our wisdom, right? Same guy who's our joy. Jesus Christ is our treasure. And if He's our treasure, He's our forever treasure. We don't have to worry. That one is not going to disappear. It's not temporary. It's eternal. So we hold to that treasure. And then the next thing He told us, which kind of leads in today, is that our temptations, as we face our trials, the temptations we face are internal. You guys understand what that means? Your temptation is not external. It's internal. I've argued about this a lot in my life. You know, maybe I would say, well, I wouldn't have looked at that woman if she didn't wear that. But the problem's not the woman and what she's wearing. The problem is what's already living where? In my heart. Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, it's what comes out of him. It's already here. Evil desires are already inside of me. So the temptation comes from within. It comes out, boiling out of me. So the Lord brings trials, testings into our life. What does it do? It shows me this junk inside of me, the ugly inside of me. You start thinking you don't have any of that, and you are going to be deceived. Because we all have common reality, and that is we're broken. And only in Christ are we whole. We all have that brokenness. So we want to understand our temptation is internal. But listen to what the Word of God declares. If you love the Lord your God, He will give you the desires of your heart. If I have evil desires in my heart, (coughs) excuse me, if I have evil desires in my heart, all I have to do is love the Lord my God. And when I love Him, like we've been talking about, with an undivided heart, When He's my joy and He's my wisdom, you know what else He is? He is my desire. And I start to see those things in my life change. So that I don't see people the same way I used to. But that's not because of me or my willpower. It's because of Jesus Christ and His impact in my life. And we need to know that. So today we come to this phrase in verse 16. Do not be deceived. Now, you know, in the Greek, you can't get it. But literally what he's saying is stop being deceived. So the question is not whether or not you're being deceived. It's whether or not you're going to stop. It's not a question of, oh, oh, I better be careful in case I might get deceived later. No, what the Bible's saying is you already are deceived. Stop it. Stop being deceived. Stop, stop not understanding. You see... The great temptation of the sinner is unbelief. But the great temptation of the believer is to misbelieve. To misunderstand our circumstances. To misunderstand the trials that go on in life. And and not to recognize that what is happening in our life is actually a good thing. Even though it may not look that way. 
God wants us to recognize. So it says in verse 16, James chapter 1, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived. First thing God says, He wants us to know your beloved. What's He saying? We have to hold on to this point because as we work our way moving forward into trials, into suffering, into difficulties in life, sometimes the first deception is to lie to ourselves say, God, don't love me. Because if He loved me, He'd give me this. Or if He loved me, He'd give me that. So the first thing God says, don't stop being deceived, and I love you. That's the first point that He makes. Stop being deceived, I love you. I love you. I love that song we do sometimes. We, we didn't do it today, but uh, I can't remember the name of it, so it's not going to help you much. <laughs> What's the name of the song I'm thinking of, babe? <laughs> you don't live in my head? Sometimes. <laughs> scary place, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> I remember. Though you slay me. One of, the, one of the lines in Though You Slay Me is... This idea that, that you're telling me, God, you're saying to me, this is for my best. Now, sometimes that's hard to hear, right? Yeah. And, and it was really hard for me to hear from my father. Any of you guys ever have fathers who told you that? You know, right before the line of, uh, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's just a bald-faced lie. But there's this idea wrapped up into that. That the reason behind a father's discipline, no matter, you know, it was excessive or not excessive, I I just want to peel back the veil a little bit and say the reason behind that was the father's love for his children. Now, I might not have done it right. may not have been how you would have done it. But the intent of the heart was, I want my children to be okay, so I'm going to discipline them. Now, our earthly fathers aren't perfect, right? So they mess up. What about our Heavenly Father? Yeah, He is perfect and He ain't never wrong. And He does not waste a hurt. Not at all. He don't waste one tear. There is not one tear we have ever wept in our lives that did not have purpose with God. And that helps me to realize it's not random. It's not wasted. It has, it has purpose. We are loved We are loved, and He wants us to understand that. So what does He tell us? This deception comes from within us. Do not be deceived is the middle voice in a Greek, which means stop deceiving yourself. So the idea is we're straying from the purpose of the trials. We're not understanding the purpose of the trials, and we need to change our attitudes about them. So stop being deceived. I love you, is what God's saying. Then He says in verse 17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So we want to understand where these things are coming from. Now, it's kind of interesting because when we we look at this, two verbs used in this sentence, I know that maybe that doesn't matter to you guys. Let me give you the quick nuts and bolts of it. The first means that the, the act of giving you something is good. So, so every good gift, every good gift, the act of giving anything to us is good. And the result of giving to us is completion, perfection. The act of giving it is good, and the result is perfection. What's God saying? Look, everything that comes into your life passes through the hands of a God who loves you. Everything. Everything that enters into your life passes through the hands of a God who loves you. And it's good. Because He is. I didn't say it wasn't hard. I didn't say it wasn't difficult. I didn't say it wasn't going to be a a struggle. I just said everything that comes into your life from above, that's good. It's good because it comes... From Him, the gifts of God are good. And the result of these gifts? Perfection. Every good gift. Every perfect gift. The idea is that whatever God gives us is good, and whenever it comes into your life, 
it is going to do something in you, for you, by you, through you. It's going to accomplish what it was sent to do. Isaiah 55, God said it like this, My word will not return to me void. He said, whatever I send it out to do, it's going to do. Right? Think about some simple ideals. When God said, let there be light, what happened? Right? Light didn't go, I don't know if I got time today, Lord. Nope. Light just was, right? What about Lazarus? Lazarus, come forth. What he do? No, God is a lot better here in heaven. I don't want to go back. Nope. What did he do? Went back. When God speaks the word, the word happens. It's accomplished. And it's good. It's for our good and His glory. And it's accomplishing something within us. In uh, Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, Three times I prayed that this thorn in my flesh would be removed. But the Lord said to me, No. For my strength is made... What's the next word? Perfect. Where? In your weakness. Same word. My strength is made perfect, complete. God shines through us when trials are in our life. When they're happening in our life, we can see God moving and working through us. We can recognize the fingerprints of God coming through. And who do they come from? We see they're coming from heaven, right? From above. Who do they come from? The next part of the verse says, they come down from the Father of lights. Wasn't that interesting? Father of lights. What's he referring to? Well, flip in the first book of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. You can see these same phrases used. God said, let there be, plural, lights. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. A greater light to rule the day, the lesser to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. He's the father of lights. Now here's the comparison that he's <clears throat> laying out for us. The heavenly bodies change. The sun comes up, but what else does it do? It goes down. Moon comes up, what else does it do? It goes down. Every once in a while they get in line with each other and you have an eclipse, right? Where light goes out. Seasons change. We see the seasons changing as we watch the stars in the sky. The Heavenly bodies that God created, the lights that God created, they change. But God does not. God is constant. In Malachi 3.6 it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. We should be thankful that God doesn't get irritated. We should be thankful that God does not Decide, you know, the promises I gave you guys, I'm tired of all your knuckleheadedness. I'm taking them back. Scripture says God don't change. He, he, in fact, he told Israel, if I change, you would be no more. You'd be gone. The Lord does not change. 1 John 1.5, this is the message. We have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all there's no evil in god no darkness it's light his light in fact drives away the darkness so what's the point there's no shadow of turning god is constant god is at work moving and accomplishing his will in our lives he won't ever change he won't ever quit he won't ever stop that's why he can make this statement if I have begun a good work in you, I will complete it. Now, I got a lot of works I ain't completed. You guys have those? You got some of that stuff in your garage? I was all excited when we moved to the house we're in because we have three garages. Well, you know, I don't know if it's is it three, two garages, a two car and one car. Does that count as three? No? Oh, we'll get clarification later. But the idea, I got, I got all this space. 
I should be able to fit all my stuff. And, and then I have all these uh, ideas. Oh, let's, well, actually, let's be honest. I don't have any of those ideas. My wife has a lot of ideas. <laughs> and so she'll bring a, a desk or a table and she'll say, oh, oh I, I found this <laughs> at a thrift store or a yard sale and uh, we'll refinish it. And that takes up a corner. And then the next six things take up the rest of that side of the garage. And then she starts working on my side of the garage. She sets booby traps for me, so I can't always find a way to get the bike into the garage. Sometimes i got to do an obstacle course. But it's all these started things we start that we don't finish. But here's the good news. You see, God doesn't do that in your life. He says, if I've begun a good work in you, if Jesus Christ is our treasure, we have a relationship with God. He says, I don't stop. I will finish what I start, and I'm not going to change. I'm not going to, I like that. I like knowing that when I go to the Lord in prayer, He's not going to be on a, having a bad day. And if He's having a bad day, then when I used to go to my mom, if my mom was having a bad day and I asked her for a cookie, I might get beat with a broom. Mom's having a bad day. And the oldest brother always had to go find out first. My brothers would come to me and say, Jackie, let's, can we have a cookie? I don't know. You go ask mom. No, I'm not. You go ask mom. All right, I'll go ask mom. If she hits me with a broom while she's chasing me, you guys go get the cookies. <laughs> <clears throat> so we would divide and conquer. <laughs> so, Hi, Mom. I love you. <clears throat> so we have all these. <laughs> we, we don't have off days. God has no off day. God is always the same. Today, yesterday, forever. If He is a God who forgives, and He forgave you yesterday, what's He going to do tomorrow? He's going to forgive you. So what should we do? We should be men and women who live lives of repentance, right? Confession. And receive that which God is promising us. Because here's what He wants us to hold on to. Here's what He wants us to understand. Everything that enters into our life that comes from above is good and perfect. It's accomplishing a purpose in our life. It comes from the Father who created the universe. And unlike the universe, He will never change. Now that word, variation is the same word we started with in verse 16. You remember what it was? Do not be deceived. That word, the same word is variation. There is in God no deception. No darkness at all. Verse 18, he goes on. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, how were we saved? Did we save ourselves or God saved us? God saved us. So He brought us forth. We're born again, new creatures, by what? The Word of truth. His Word. He speaks it, and what happens? It happens. So if He says, I'm a new creation, what happened? I'm a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, and God has ordained that I should walk in them. So He's laid these things out for us. So of His own will, He brought us forth. He sent out the invitations. Remember we studied about it in Matthew 22? He sent out the invitations, highways, byways, whosoever will could come. You remember? And everybody could come to, anybody could come to the marriage feast, but there was one rule. Coming into the marriage feast, you had to put on what? You had to put on a wedding garment. If you didn't have a wedding garment on you, you weren't supposed to get in. Who's the wedding garment? Jesus Christ. How do we come into a relationship with the Father? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except how? Through me. We go into the wedding feast through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 tells us that we entered into Christ when we heard the gospel and believed and were saved by the word of truth. Here he says, by the word of truth, by his own will... He brought us forth that we would be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So we look here, we see the purpose of God. It's not to do, it is not to do evil, it's to do good. It is not to bring death, it's to bring life. And He promises there's more than we can even begin to fathom in the future. 
because this is just a first fruits. I'm kind of thankful for that, that this isn't the best. This is just the top of the iceberg. That's what the Lord is declaring. You've been saved, and you're a kind of first fruits. There's so much more that's going to be coming. There's more happening in the future. See, the word of truth is like a seed, and it brings forth a fruit-bearing plant. And this fruit-bearing plant is bringing forth fruit in our lives. The word of truth that brought forth the first creation, the new creation, created in Christ Jesus as God begins to work in us, regenerating us from the inside out, also promises a greater resurrection one day. Not just from the inside out, but the outside too. See, this body is like a seed. It's going to be planted one day. And what's going to come forth in the resurrection may not look like this at all. It'll be whatever, however God deems that it should be. And this old body will be put away, and the new is so much better. There's better hope. There's more hope, yet future for us that we can hold on to. Because He's doing this work in us by His will. But then He's going to work on this attitude. So, in light of this reality, don't be deceived. God loves you. God's bringing good things into your life, bringing about the conclusion that God wants. He's working these things out in your life, and you, what you're experiencing today is just the beginning. God has more. Everybody tracking with me so far? So in light of this reality, know this, beloved brethren. Let every person be quick to hear. Most of the time we get this whole verse backwards. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. we got to be quick to hear, which means basically God is saying this. Listen up! Listen! You can't hear God talking to you because you are flapping your gums. Is that ever you guys? You get into something, you start complaining. I know, I do it. I sound like this. I don't wake up happy and cheerful. It, it takes at least one monster to get me to happy and cheerful. So I wake up, and, and I've always been able to see, you know, the, the glass is never half empty. It's all the way empty. There's just a little liquid in it. So, but I want to be let out with joy. So if I'm going to be let out with joy, how do I need to start my day? In the presence of who? God, that's right. So we get up. That's why it's important. When we get up, we're in the presence of God. Right away. I need wisdom for the day. Where am I going to find that? In the presence of the Lord, right? I need to make sure my treasure is in heaven and not on earth. Otherwise, I'm going to get focused on money and it's going to get me off track. So I want to, where do I do that? Same time. I do that in the morning. I need to recognize going into my day that the temptations I'm going to face come from inside of me. So I need to confess those and ask God to, 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 permeate my heart. I need to recognize that the things that come into my day came from Him. And He's working out a good purpose even if I don't fully see it. And He's got a perfect plan. He's doing work in my life now and there's more yet coming in the future. So then as I step out of my house, the first thing I have to remind myself, be quick to listen. Most of the time, I'm pretty sure I can interpret my day's events, you know, in the first couple of minutes. You guys do that? Show up at work, chaos happening, something's gone wrong. Oh, I, I start interpreting right away. I just forgot everything we did in the morning. And the, the joy of the Lord's my strength. That the wisdom I need for my day comes from Christ. And the reason I forget it is because usually I start flapping my gums... Instead of being quick to listen. In other words, looking to God and saying, Lord, help me see your fingerprints today. Help me see you in this situation. Because I don't think I get it. But Lord, I, I want to be able to see you. I want to be quick to hear. And the next thing I, it goes right along with it. Slow to speak. The proverb says, please hear this. Only a fool 
vents his feelings. Wait a minute. How many of us have said, oh, I'm just venting? Well, just so you know what God says about venting. That's a fool. A fool vents. A fool thinks, I just need to spew out all this garbage to somebody or I'm going to pop. You, you, you actually don't have to. It's amazing how that works. The Bible says, be slow to speak. Slow. Slow down. Slow, 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 slow speaking. A lot more listening. A lot more trying to perceive what God is doing, how God is molding and making. Because sometimes we're a lump of clay sitting on top of a wheel, spinning around in circles, screaming. And God's trying to say, no, just take it easy. I'm just working a little thing out. But we can't hear him because we're going, ah! <laughs> So stop. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Proverbs 18, verse 6. says, a fool's lips walk into a fight. And his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin. And his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. Chapter 17, verse 27. Proverbs says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Whoever is slow to speak has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. You guys have heard that before. Put it a different way, haven't you? It's better to close your mouth and be thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> Even a fool has learned. What we want to do is it's, we need to understand. Slow to speak. I don't... I, we do that backwards, guys. We do it backwards all the time. We're quick. I got a quick temper, biting sarcasm. Kathy calls it rude. Yeah, lately she calls it snarky. I don't know where this word came from. But I keep getting Snickers bars that say snarky on it. I think there's a sign somewhere. Here's your sign. So she calls it rude. But I need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Quick to hear. Whoa, I, we all, I got this piece of news about so-and-so, and i got to tell somebody. Uh, slow to speak. Quick to listen. What's God's word say about that? Well, you better put that fire out. It, don't, it is not okay to be lighting fires all over the place. God don't like that at all. So we want to be slow to speak. And we want to be slow to anger. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Okay, just so, in case you're wondering, when the Bible talks about fools, it's not good. That's bad. The Bible likens a fool to the one who says there is no... God. So that's not the example I want to follow, right? So it says the fool's the, the, the one who, who isn't controlling his anger. Anger lodges in the heart of the fool. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. We all do that, don't we? Oh, the older I get, the better I was, huh? We look back and we think, oh, I didn't used to have to lock my door. Or I didn't used to have to lock my car. Or I didn't. We think something's better than now. And, and God says, that's not wisdom. Wisdom says, man, let's, let's just be quick to listen. What do you have for me here, Lord? Let's be slow to speak and let's recognize that we don't want to give way to anger. Here's what God does tell us in a positive sense in terms of our anger. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Now this is the kind of anger he's talking about. He's not talking about justice. This is not the word that's being used. 
The word for anger is a, is a flash of anger, speaking of revenge, uh, holding a grudge, having a grudge towards somebody, or, or just a flash of anger towards somebody. The Bible says, don't avenge yourself. It says, leave it to the wrath of God. Uh, we don't like that. We like the do unto others first. Or do unto others before they do unto you. We want to make sure that we have the, the right to, to do and to say whatever somebody else has done or said to me. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine. I got this. Do you trust Him? Do you trust the Lord to deal with those areas of your life? Now, every time I get I talk about this, I get questions about, well, what does that mean about self-defense? Well, you, you figure that out between you and the Lord. This is, self-defense is not vengeance. If by self-defense somebody stole something from you and you're going to the house to shoot them, that's not okay. Nor is that self-defense. Right? Are we tracking? This is vengeance, revenge, anger, flash, poor reactions, and dealing with people and, and uh, spewing our vile out. So it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Oh, I'm about to just... Jump in it now. Okay. Why is that so hard for Christians to do toward Muslims? Because there's some ugly attitudes. Hey, I get they're our enemy. I can even get the idea that they want to kill us all. Okay. So what's the Bible say to do about it? If he's hungry, feed him. Because you know what? Our vile, the bile that we spew out on people, the, the anger that we spew out on people, that's not ever going to change somebody's heart. Do you wear that? If I learn anything from looking at Israel as a nation who has to deal with Islam and people who hate them everywhere, right? And so they build walls and they keep them out and they restrict and they confine and they do all these things for safety and it's their country. They can do it however they want. But this is what I see. When we do that, you breed in those little neighborhoods hatred. And one day, you're going to bear harvest. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, what does it say? That shall he also reap. Now, I'm not saying be dumb or foolish. But whenever I walk into somebody, whenever I have bumped into refugees, Bill and I have gone out to the mosque ourselves on Friday for prayer to stand in the street as they're coming out to talk to them about Jesus. Because that's what somebody does who loves them. The reason we stand out on the corner at Planned Parenthood is not because we hate women. The reason we stand out there is because we love them. And we're willing to tell them the things other people won't. But all I'm trying to do is feed the hungry. All I'm trying to do is give them the things they need. Now one day down the road... Maybe I'll pay the price for it. But when I get to heaven, I don't think I'm going to be derided by the Lord for being too loving. This is what God's Word lays out for us. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap coals of fire on his head. Now, I don't care how you want to relate that illustration whatever makes you happy the the point is the goal is saving a soul the goal is to save a soul now i'm not saying go to them and tell them everything they're doing right and everything's okay because that's not loving 
somebody's eating poison, you should tell them, stop eating poison. If somebody is taking life, you should tell them, stop taking life. It's not okay. If somebody... If somebody is spewing hatred, we should do the same thing. Hey, stop. I had to, I had to deal with that in my heart several years back. Man, I recognize in my heart, I, just, I could only see enemy. I could not see soul. I could only see enemy. And I guess my counsel would be, if that's you, recognize what James 1.20 says. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Me being angry does not work out what God wants. I can't be angry on any of the corners. I can't be angry when I, when I go out to the mosque with Bill. <clears throat> I can't be angry when I go out to Planned Parenthood with Bill. And it's not my goal to be angry. That I'm supposed to reflect who? Christ, No. So, so I want to go with that attitude. I want to go with that. And I need to recognize my flash of anger, my spewing, my venting. That doesn't work the righteousness of God, ever. Does not work the righteousness of God. So stop. Stop. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Human anger always inhibits wholehearted trust of God. When I get angry, always part of that anger is toward the Lord. When I get angry, part of that anger is toward God because I'm mad that I'm in this situation or I'm mad that God didn't fix it or I'm mad that He hasn't taken it away. My anger has never done anything good for me. Almost always makes my situation worse. I'm pulling on a... I got a sock drawer I hate. Anybody have sock drawers they don't like? My sock drawer is on a bottom. I'm mad that it's on the bottom before I ever get a sock out. I bend over and I grab that drawer and I go to pull it. And it gets wedged in there sideways and it don't want to come out. Now I'm madder at the sock drawer. So I start jerking and pulling on the sock drawer. Having a little hissy fit on the, snot, on the sock drawer. Not the snot drawer, the sock drawer. And I pull it and bend and then I pull a handle off, or I break the drawer. Did it get better? Nope. Wrath of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. Turn away from our anger. Anger is to be discarded, not fostered. We like how anger makes us feel. We want to pet it. We need to put that away. No more anger. Let that anger go. Verse 21 tells us how to do it. Listen. Therefore put away all filthiness... And rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Because of our anger problem, we need to resist all evil. That word for filthiness is wax in your ears. Remember being quick to hear? Sometimes our ears get stopped up. So mad I can't hear. We need to deal with that. Maybe something left over in our past life, something we're holding on to, but we've got to deal. Resist all evil. Cast off all the unrighteous works of the enemy. Put them all off. But with it, when we put them off, what's he tell us to put on? Look at the gentle spirit that he says. Receive with meekness or gentleness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Receive with meekness, with gentleness. Look, hear what God's saying. Hear what God's saying. Listen to what he's saying. You think, I, I, don't, I don't know if I agree. You don't ever have to agree with me. Just make sure you're on the same page as the Lord. Make sure your disagreement is with me or my ideals, but not with what the Word of God says. Receive with meekness what God's Word says. Resist evil. We want victory over the devil. Here's what the Word of God says. Submit to God first. Submit to God. That's the idea. In meekness, receive the Word. Submit to God. The next part, 
If you resist the devil, he'll flee. We, we've, we don't want to do the first part. We just want to quote the second part. You don't get the second part without the first part. Submit to God. Let God's word be the guide in our life to how we behave, the things we do, the things we say. Let God's word be that. And if it doesn't, if God's word says it ain't good, stop making excuses. Put it out. Receive it with meekness and gentleness for the saving of your soul. Hey, God's doing a great work in our lives. Maybe we're not what we're going to be, but thank God we're not what we were either. We're moving forward, progressing toward the Lord, looking forward to His return. That needs to be our heart. But when we are convicted by the Word, the proper response in being convicted to the Word is to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and say, You're my King, not me. Your way, not my way. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we uh, we just come before you. God, we maybe there's some things, Lord, that we are uh, that we're feeling. Maybe there's some issues in our life that um, it's just not what you want from us, not best. Maybe we haven't seen the trials in our life as coming through the hands of a God who loves us. God, I just pray, Lord, that our heart would not be to walk away and not be able to receive all that you have, but, but rather our heart would be to come to you. Because, God, when you, when you convict us, our response is to bow the knee, to, to look to you, to say, God, I, you know what? I'm sorry. This anger that is in my life is not okay. So forgive me of it, God. Give me victory over it. Or, Lord, these attitudes that I've had toward different situations, it's not from you, God. Forgive me of it. I just pray that our attitude would be to come to you in prayer, God, and receive what you have for us. Because there's so much more in you. And we want it all. So meet us here, Lord. Meet us here.